Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Let's turn to John chapter 5, verses 24 to 29. And let's stand for the reading of our passage for the sermon this morning. John 5, starting at verse 24. This is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray as we look at this passage, and as I preach it, that you would bless us richly, that you would open our minds, that you would make uh, our hearts soft, that you would make us like little children ready to receive a meal from your word. Humble us before your word. May we be taught and built up and strengthened and rebuked, trained in righteousness. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be seated. So today we focus our attention on Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Our, Our Savior's resurrection is the very centerpiece of the Christian faith. Without his resurrection from the dead, our faith is foolishness. The Apostle Paul said as much, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. And so our religion, our faith, has at its core a dying man who came out of the grave, unlike any other man who has ever lived. Jesus was not just a man, though. He was the Word of God made flesh. He was the eternal Son of God, born of woman in time. His resurrection from the dead was not just some impressive trick or even even, um, an unexplainable miracle. His resurrection from the dead was God freeing us from the curse earned by our father Adam. His resurrection, Jesus' resurrection from the dead, was God bringing his cursed children back to himself. It was God who is love drawing his sin-bearing son to himself and all of us, all of us who are in Christ by faith. Christian, this is your faith. Jesus, the Lamb of God, took away the sin of the world, died, and then was alive again. That's your faith. That is 
the, the Christian faith is historical. Those are historical events. We believe on the testimony of God's word that the most glorious drama in all the universe took place on a hill called Golgotha and in a tomb cut out of the stones of this earth. God was on that hill and God was in that tomb But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for Jesus to be held in its power. And so we live in hope, knowing that uh, that he, he did not abandon the soul of his son to Hades, nor will he abandon your souls, the souls of his adopted sons, to hell. As our text says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Note who it is, right? You should have your Bibles open at John 5 at 24 so you can continually look down at it and see what I'm talking about. Note who it is who does not come into judgment, who passes out of death and into life. Who is it? It's he who hears my words and believes him who sent me. It is not merely those who saw Jesus after his resurrection, but those who read the testimony of those who were there and who believe. Faith, believing without seeing, is pleasing to God. Believing without seeing is pleasing to God. Abraham had faith and that faith was credited to him as righteousness. Our faith is the same. Believing that God is and he is rewarder of those who seek him leads to eternal life. Believing that he is and he's a rewarder of those who seek him leads to eternal life. Faith is not sight. Remember what Jesus said to Thomas, who would only believe if he saw. Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. So those who are saved are those who hear Christ's word. Of course, that doesn't mean those who just listen to Christ's word. Hearing means hearing, comprehending, believing what the word teaches If any of you were to take a job in which you needed training, you would make sure to study. You might even memorize any material that your employer gave to you, especially if there's some danger involved in it, in that work. When it comes to your soul, God has given us his word. And he expects that we become more than just hearers. He expects us, by the work of his spirit within us, to be doers of the word. That you uh, are, are here today to sit under my preaching by God's providence does not prove anything. Right? That you hear God's word and submit your hearts to it joyfully, that you hear God's word as a humble student, as a repentant sinner, proves much more. Right? Undoubtedly, the thing that marks a Christian from all other hearers of the word is that the Christian desires something when he hears the word. He desires holiness. He desires to be like the Holy Father. 
right? Holiness is no burden, but is the Christian's joy. And so our faith is not just, is not simply a leap or a crapshoot or a conjuring up of sufficient emotions, right? No, faith is as fixed as the stars in heaven. Faith is not something we conjure up every day and just hope we have enough of it that day. Faith, you see, is the fruit of God within you. It is the result of the new birth that God the Spirit works in us. The Apostle Paul wrote, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, what is the reward for, of a simple simple faith of believing in God. It says in our text, it says eternal life. That's the reward that God gives out. And by saying that, Jesus means a good and pleasant eternal life, because it is true to say that every soul, every soul is immortal. And in that sense, everyone lives forever. Everyone, in a sense, in that sense, has eternal life. Every soul that has ever lived from Adam to the 7.6 so billion today has eternal life. Not one of those souls is annihilated. Not one of those souls ceases to be. But for each of them, there are two destinations, two eternal destinations. For those who believe in the one true living God, a good and pleasant eternity, a wonderful, comfortable Sabbath. For those who will not believe in the one true living God, a bad and unpleasant eternity. One world ruled by justice, the other ruled by mercy. One world permeated with God's wrath, and one world illuminated with God's love. Who will rest in that good world? Who will rest in that good world? Verse 25, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Notice that Jesus says that hour of hearing has come as he is speaking those words, right? He came preaching and those who by the Spirit were giving ears to hear heard. It is they who will hear and live in that good and pleasant land. Yet notice who it is who will hear Jesus' voice. Who is it that will hear Jesus' voice? It's the the dead. The dead. He means not those who are physically dead, but those who are spiritually dead. Dead in their sins. The apostle Paul tells us that we are all by nature children of wrath who are dead in our transgressions, in our trespasses and sins. This is what all people are before the Spirit works in them. When, though, the Spirit does work in us, He gives us ears to hear. Jesus told us that those who hear would have ears to hear. Dead ears are deaf ears. Deaf ears do not hear. Only ears that hear can hear. And those ears which God has unstopped are able to hear what he speaks to the dead. Again, the Apostle Paul writes, Things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, 
and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. So those who hear will live, which is to say again that those who hear will live in the good and pleasant place where God's love reigns. But even now in this life, Christians begin to enjoy the peace of eternal life. Well, how do they do that? We enjoy a present salvation knowing that we are completely justified, that we are completely forgiven. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Our relationship to a holy God has been restored. We have passed from death to life. We have been resurrected spiritually from the power and guilt of sin. And though we are not yet in heaven, we're pardoned and enjoy a peace that surpasses all understanding. Is this not true? Can you imagine facing death without faith in Jesus? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine approaching your final hours in this life thinking that on the other side is nothing? Just a snuffing out of consciousness. Can you imagine thinking we are some kind of cosmic accident of impersonal forces and death is it? What a tragic blindness for those who think this way. This is not what God's word teaches us. Right? There is much life to be lived beginning at the moment of death. There's much more life to be lived at the moment of death. When the heart... I'm competing. (laughs) When the heart monitor goes flat. Think of that. Some of you have been in hospital rooms and you've seen that happen. Some of you have been with loved ones and, and that has happened. When the heart monitor goes flat, that simply indicates that that soul has moved from this life to the next. Now look at the text. What does Jesus have as a gift from his Father? He has life. He has life. Now this is quite the phrase, is it not? For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. Rather than this being a statement about the Father and the Son's relationship within the Trinity, I think we must take this within the context of the passage. We've been talking about eternal life, so When this passage speaks of life, it is speaking of the Father and the Son having that which is given to those who believe. They have eternal life and they give it to those who believe. It is speaking of them being able to dispense eternal life. Calvin explains uh, this passage by an analogy. He says, water is sometimes drunk from a spring, sometimes drawn, sometimes led by channels to water the fields. Yet it does not flow forth from itself for so many uses, but from the very source, which by unceasing flow supplies and serves it. In like manner, the flesh of Christ is like a rich and inexhaustible fountain that pours us the life springing forth from the Godhead into itself. He has life. He dispenses this eternal life as he desires. 
We receive that which the Godhead itself only can dispense. In other words, it is, as the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians, we are members of his body, and the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And Christ is the head from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Which again is to say that we by faith participate in the very blood and body of Jesus Christ. We are united to him by faith. So when we are made alive in Christ, we receive life from the one who possesses life in himself. We receive that which only the Godhead can dispense. What is so important about that? Well, so many people seek for eternal life from bad sources. Sources that do not possess eternal life. Sources that are bankrupt, right? Many people think eternal life, on the other hand, is something they possess in and of themselves, and they refuse to think that it is God's to give as he pleases, right? I'm, I'm a human being, therefore, my destiny is heaven. No, no, not necessarily. This passage teaches us that God determines who he gives that life to. This passage teaches us that God alone is the source of life, and so seeking for eternal life in any other place is a fool's errand. You know what I think most people think is the source of eternal life? It really is just being alive. I think, that's, I think they, they have a sense that because they're alive, they will continue to live after they die. Right? Just being alive, they think they receive from God someplace in heaven, even without faith. Right? Perhaps during the medieval time, people were concerned about amassing good works, but today, people, people just don't care about that. Right? People don't care about um, amassing good works. Either people are materialists, and don't believe there is a God or they think that God loves them just the way they are. Even apart from the blood of Christ. No one worries about works. Most people presume, right? Most, the problem today is people presume upon the grace of God, never reading God's book about eternal life. But scripture testifies that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And God is just, and the justifier of whom? Of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Now our text goes on to say this, Jesus is also a judge. He has eternal life to give, and so as a mediator, Jesus is appointed to be the judge of all mankind. Scripture says this about what lies ahead for each and every one of us. It is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. So think about this. Jesus, because he was the Son of Man, which points to the work that he did as the incarnate mediator, living as a man, condescending to fulfill the eternal covenant made with his Father, being cursed on the tree, becoming a propitiation and dying, is appointed by the Father then to execute judgment. How will this judgment be executed? Well, verses 28 and 29 tell us, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming, 
in which all who are in tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Did you get that? That's the teaching of God's word. Everyone who has ever been laid in a grave or cremated or died in some strange way will be raised. Right? Jesus will call them forth and when he calls them forth, they'll stand before him as he conducts a tribunal. Every soul that ever lived on that day will arise to stand before the one appointed to be judged by the Father. And so as we think about Jesus' resurrection this day, it's important to know that resurrection will be a commonplace. Of course, Jesus' resurrection was unprecedented. It was unparalleled. But on the last day, everybody will be resurrected. And once their lifeless bodies are reanimated, they will proceed then to stand before Jesus Christ, their creator, and it will look like this. But when the Son of Man, notice that same name is in our passage in John, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Notice, as our passage in John says, it was those who did good deeds who will come forth to a resurrection of life. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come with you? And the king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. But that's not the end of that passage. Right? Now we pivot to the left. Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? And then he will say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And then this conclusion, these will go away into eternal punishments, but the righteous into eternal life. And it it's important to say, and it must be said, that it was not the good deeds or the bad deeds that earned them eternal life or death. No, that would, that would not make God the dispenser of life or death, merely a passive responder. 
These good or bad works were indicators of whether they were living by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit or not. So don't make the passage mean what doesn't make sense in the whole scope of Scripture. Our works do not save us. Our faith is the instrument of our salvation, believing. And our works indicate whether we are gods or not. Works proceed from faith. Now, why in the world would I preach this passage on Easter Sunday? Why wouldn't I just preach about Jesus' resurrection and his triumph over death? Well, here's my reason. We've heard of Jesus' resurrection many times before, right? Amazingly, it's still a cultural artifact in our culture. We don't often consider our own resurrection. And this is the teaching of Scripture. This is the Orthodox faith. This is what Christians believe, right? This is what Christians have always believed through all time. A day is coming when all bodies will live again. They will awaken from sleep, so to speak. The soul which has been conscious every day from the day of their conception to even after they die will be returned to that resurrected body, then judgment. No one will be surprised at the verdict, right? Oh, unbelievers will be angry and protest that they'd done this and that and God owed them something. And believers will be absolutely blown away that they had ever done anything good in God glorifying. Dear brothers and sisters, whereas the resurrection of Jesus was redemptive and unique and powerful, there is a resurrection that lies ahead for every soul that ever lived. Resurrection, in this sense, is commonplace. Again, this description from Scripture. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. And no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So perhaps it's easy for some of you to just shrug your shoulders now and say, Ain't no use in me worrying about things that are going to happen to me after I die. But I'm telling you now that there is something that you can do. You can believe in Jesus Christ. You can believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You can confess that with your mouth and you will be saved. You needn't work. You need just believe. You are now left without excuse. Each of you must be prepared to stand before the judgment throne of Christ. And Jesus 
will remind you of this day, April 4th, 2021, where the gospel was held out to you and you just scoffed at it. And you went your own way. And you went back to your normal mode of existence, eating, drinking, working, sleeping, eating, drinking, working, sleeping, eating, drinking, working, sleeping, eating, drinking, working, sleeping. Perhaps some of you want to go back to your regularly scheduled Easter programming. Sweet Jesus rose from the dead. Let's eat chocolate and have Easter egg hunts and stuff our guts with ham and wear our Easter dresses to church. And you, don't, and you want to do that because you don't want to think you, you don't want to think about death. Well, pastors get to throw things in the faces of people all the time, right? If they're being faithful, right? And to think about death is the only thing we should think about because it could be that the heart monitor goes flat today. And I want to be free from the blood of all men. So I've put it before you, I've put before you on this resurrection day, the common resurrection, the general resurrection that will happen on that great day. And that there will be a distinction for those who rise again. Some shall rise to glory and happiness to what is called the resurrection of life. Some shall rise to be lost and ruined forever to what is called a resurrection of damnation or a resurrection of judgment. In other words, those who think the grave is the conclusion will be sadly mistaken. And they will know that the moment they breathe their last breath, just milliseconds later, they will know that they made the gravest miscalculation of their life, saying there is no God. Their soul will immediately pass to judgment even while their body awaits the resurrection we've been talking about this morning. They will have time to experience their final destination even before the body is raised from the dead. Their souls will experience that final destination until this resurrection happens. Now when this happens, now when this happens, you will be without excuse. Resurrection. This resurrection is the Christian's hope. It is not, but it should be, the unbeliever's nightmare. I want to go back to one little phrase in the passage we are considering. Notice what Jesus says at the beginning of verse 28. Do not marvel at this, he says. You might think he would say the opposite. Marvel at this. He says, do not marvel at this. We might, you know, we, we, should, we should marvel at the fact that he has life, that he will be a judge, that at his voice the dead will come out of the tombs, and that there will be a resurrection to life and a resurrection of judgment. It's almost unfathomable. We can't wrap our heads around this. And those things that we can't wrap our heads around, we usually wonder at and marvel at. What I think Jesus is getting at is this. 
There are many who hear these teachings that I've preached about today, and they dismiss them as outlandish, they dismiss them as old-fashioned, unbelievable imaginings of desperate consciences. Jesus is telling them not to marvel or wonder at these things like we marvel or wonder at the existence of dragons or unicorns. Also, we often just passively roll around in our minds that which we refuse to believe and refuse to act upon. In other words, to marvel at something is a way that we resist acting on something. That which we find too incredible to believe, we marvel at. Jesus is saying, this is as true as the hardness of the wooden pew in front of you. The resurrection of the dead is coming just as the sun will rise in the east tomorrow. Do not marvel, just believe. Do not marvel, rather, rather prepare, right? Do not marvel, rather let the resurrection be the reality that dictates the works of every day. Or to put it another way, it is an overactive imagination that causes people to believe there is an end of consciousness after death. It's an overactive imagination. The reality, the simplicity, the, the basis, the foundation, the, the absolutely concrete thing is life after death. Now do not marvel, live accordingly. The resurrection of the dead is the mundane truth about the world that God calls us to believe. It is the overly wondering mind that concocts a world radically different from the one that God created and describes in a book that he gave to us. It takes a blind sort of faith to believe the world is the one described to us by pagan philosophers and unbelieving media personalities, and materialistic scientists. That takes much faith and much imagination. Jesus says, do not marvel. My world is one of resurrection and life after death. That's my world. That's ordinary. So as we celebrate Christ's redemptive resurrection, the resurrection that changed everything, let's remember that we too will rise again. Will you rise united to Christ by faith unto life, or will you, be will you rise unclothed in any righteousness separated from Christ by unbelief unto judgment? John 5, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who, has, who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of life into death. Out of, excuse me, what a terrible ending. Out of death and into life. Out of death and into life. That's what this says. And what, what is the mechanism? Belief. Faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you praise for your word. We thank you that you are a God who is there, that you are a God who has life in himself and has given to the Son to have life in himself. 
And that's you are sovereign over the souls of men. And you say, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Oh, Father, I pray that all here would come to Jesus, that would believe these realities, would set aside their, their active imaginations that are concocting false stories about the world. They would believe the word, believe the one source of truth in this world, inerrant truth. So, Father, I pray your spirit would work in everybody who is here today, that they would repent and believe the gospel. Lord, we do praise you. We thank you that death could not hold Jesus down, but that he went into that tomb having proclaimed it is finished and having already commended his soul to his father, and his body went in the tomb, and he knew, he knew that, that death would not hold him down. And so, Father, we thank you for this truth. We thank you for this truth that changes all things. We thank you for the reality of the re- resurrection. And Father, we thank you that as Jesus has gone, so those who believe in him will go as well. We will be raised up in glory. Lord, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the joy and the hope that living in this glorious and happy land will give to us, your people, for an eternity. It is only because your son has done his work perfectly. It is only because your son did everything, even up until the end, without fail and that he was the Lamb of God, takes away the sin of the world, and that he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and he sits to your right hand, there to come to judge the living and the dead. Lord, we love you, we thank you for your mercy to us, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. And Father, we pray as you taught your disciples to pray. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.